Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of August 2022, and uh, last month, July, uh, we kind of fell ass backwards into a theme of reviewing films from about 20 years ago. So films from exactly the year 2002. Uh, We didn't plan to do that, but we ended up carrying through with that the entire month, and it worked out pretty nicely. Uh, This month, however, we're off to a slightly shakier start. So uh, the theme we decided upon for August 2022 uh, is to explore contemporary releases. So that would be 2022 releases. Um, This week, uh, as you may have noticed, uh, I'm the only voice present on the mic. Uh, So I'm going to be doing a solo review today. Um, The plan was to review uh, Prey, uh, but that's kind of a really, really big deal, uh, being as the Predator franchise was where Catching Up on Cinema began. Uh, So because of, uh, you know, some real life shit between Kyle and I, uh, we're both busy with real life stuff. Uh, We've decided to put that off until we can both find a time to record together. Uh, In the meantime, though, uh, it's just going to be you and me. And uh, so this week... I am going to be reviewing a uh, Netflix exclusive at the time of uh, recording, uh, Carter, from the year 2022, as I said, and this is directed by uh, Jong Byung-gil, uh, who is a South Korean director who I have seen exactly one other film of his, um, and I'll disclose exactly what that is. I'm, like most casual viewers of Korean cinema will know what film it is uh, that I, I have seen of his, but I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I wanted to take a pit stop real quick, uh, though, because I wanted to uh, just shit on the gray man a little bit. Uh, So the gray man also happens to be currently, anyway, a uh, a Netflix exclusive. It's, of course, directed by Joe and Anthony Russo uh, and stars a number of their regulars and whatnot. Uh, That was a movie that uh, I was kind of looking forward to. I couldn't tell you exactly why I was looking forward to it. Uh, just, you know, the the components involved and some of the trailer footage, you know, kind of had my spirits up. I was like, this looks like a, a Bourne-esque spy action thriller that contains uh, imp- improvised weaponry and punching and occasionally some handgun action. It's like, yeah, sure, I, I can get on board with that. That's very much my jam. Uh, Ryan Gosling, not so much. He's not really a selling point for me. Chris Evans, however, I, I do actually like him. Uh, And he ends up being pretty much the best part of that movie. But anyway, I did say I was going to shit on this movie. uh, And the reason I'm doing that is because um, I've been saying recently that uh, I personally uh, have been kind of spoiled by uh, the some of the like the slate, like what's what's being offered these days in terms of action cinema. It seems like there's going to be a long string of films that seem to be catering precisely to a person of my relative tastes uh case in point the gray man which from the trailers uh seemed like something right up my alley and carter as well again seemed like something right up my alley uh hint hint uh in regards to my overall opinion of the film uh, that i'll get to in a minute um but in addition to that we also have things like uh, chad uh, chad stelsky's uh john wick four um and even before that, we also have uh, Day Shift, which is also going to be a Netflix exclusive directed by J.J. 
quote-unquote Loco Perry, uh, who I'm a very big fan of his work, and I believe it's his first directing gig. Um, and then also in the interim, uh, that is before we get to John Wick 4, which is kind of the WrestleMania of these these uh, smaller-scale action films, um, we also have uh, Bullet Train, uh, which I'm also very much looking forward to, directed by David Leach. Uh, so we, we just have like a almost like a glut of of this particular brand of like tooth and nail action movie that, that I I'm such a huge mark for. So I feel spoiled, but um, so far I'm not going to lie. Um, all those movies that I just rattled off. Um, it's not looking good so far. I'm, I'm hoping, I think bullet train is the next one followed by day shift. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping the overall quality of these films uh, starts to improve because uh, the gray man, I gave it a two and a half out of five stars. Um, Carter, I have not decided on a star rating for it, but um, it's not good. <laughs> I won't say that much. Uh, that may be uh, blasphemous uh, in like the action Twitter community or whatever they call themselves, but um, I'll just say that much up front. Uh, I did not like it. Uh, no, sir, I don't like it. Uh, in the words of Mr. Horse himself uh, from Red and Stimpy. Um, but yeah, I said I was going to take a pit stop here, um, and I'm, I've never done this before, but I'm going to actually read on the air uh, my review of The Gray Man, because uh, I don't generally write reviews. I haven't for some time. I used to do a daily blog years ago, but um, I don't generally write reviews. Um, so this was a movie that I was really taken by by its liabilities i was like man this movie has some serious flaws and god damn it like five people on the internet are going to hear about it so i'm just going to go ahead and read this so uh <clears throat> a paint by numbers modern spy thriller that is buoyed just barely from the depths of outright badness by its atypically handsome and recognizable cast of players Lazily scripted and overcrowded with familiar plot elements from better films such as Commando, 1985, and The Man from Nowhere, 2010, aside from a delightfully smarmy turn from Russo Brothers production veteran Chris Evans, The Gray Man, 2022, is shockingly devoid of personality and charm. Featuring a smattering of loud, artificial, and mostly weightless action sequences, The Gray Man features a couple of decent dust-ups in its final act, but largely fails to deliver any truly memorable set pieces. A high-gloss and seemingly high-budget affair, packed with needle drops resonant with the filmmakers and no one else, The Gray Man is an aptly titled film that, in the eyes of this reviewer, fits snugly into the hazy, grossly overpopulated purgatory of adequate but forgettable modern action cinema. Too long didn't read. Uh, look up whenever you hear punching provide you can hear it through the anemic sound and foley mix take a shot every time there's an on-screen title referring to a change of venue enjoy your liver disease and or blindness wow i was downright catty with that i did not see that coming uh normally i'm not so venomous but yeah that them them's my feelings on the gray man um actually that was a prospective review for this month um that i i opted not to do uh because i after having watching it i was like i can't ask kyle to watch this like kyle like it may like do irreparable harm to our friendship <laughs> like kyle will despise this film um and it's funny because uh if i had a choice 
that is, uh, if my schedule allowed for it, uh, I would not be choosing to review Carter today. Or let alone, I'm not sure if it's going to be a review, but I would not be talking about Carter today because um, this movie would be deeply offensive to Kyle as well. Um, he he would not be able to stomach it, honestly. He'd probably uh, vomit in his lap uh, trying to contend with the, the shot structure and the editing of this film. Um, so really, this is, this is a review being done out of necessity. Uh, we were crunched for time, uh, and I decided, you know, Hey, what's a movie that I, I kind of think I might be interested to see in 2022? Well, took a chance, didn't work out. Uh, so let's get to the movie. Um, so this is, as I said, Carter from the year 2022, and it's directed by Jung Byung Gil, uh, who is a South Korean filmmaker. Um, I'll go ahead and reveal uh, the film of the film of his that I have seen is uh, *The Villainous* from the year 2017. Uh, that movie made a decent splash uh, over here in the States. I mean, it helps that, like, the kids are kind of in love with uh, Korea these days uh, because, you know, Korean culture is interesting and, uh, you know, K-pop fucking helps as well. Uh, so we're kind of inundated with Korean media these days, um, not like we were, you know, 10 years ago. It was kind of it was kind of niche, actually, like like the people who knew knew, but it was something that wasn't nearly as mainstream as it is today but the villainous even in 2017 made a decent splash and a lot of it came down to its style uh the the opening uh, pov shot uh, action sequence which is uh, stitched together to appear digitally uh, as a single cut uh, is very well staged um it's very well storyboarded it's very well conceived it's very well executed it's it's as the kids say a banger um, and also there's uh, a motorcycle sequence in there that it's kind of common knowledge that uh, Chad Stahelski and the, uh, the John Wick stunt crew, the 8711 folks, they, they kind of did a tribute to it. They, I mean, I'm not going to lie, they, they definitely one-upped it, um, but they definitely did a tribute to it um, for John Wick 3. Um, although, as I said, they definitely uh, executed it slightly better uh, than they did in The Villainous. But... Um, the only other movie of note that I see on his filmography is Confession of Murder from the year 2012. And the only reason I know that is, uh, I believe it also dabbles uh, in some of the cinematography and editing tricks that seem to be uh, carried over through Jung's uh, filmography. Uh, so we have the villainous having that POV sequence. Uh, it's also intended to appear as a single shot sequence. Um, and then I believe there's also like a car chase sequence or something um, in Confession of Murder that is executed in a similar way, albeit five years earlier. Uh, which brings us to Carter, uh, which, uh, if you're not aware, the entire concept of the film uh, is that it is a overlong <laughs> action film. Uh, very heavy emphasis on action. Uh, this is an action-heavy movie, so if, if that is literally all you need, like if that if that is literally all you need to sate your you know your entertainment appetite, uh, this movie will deliver on that front. Uh, I do think it's too long, however. But the whole concept of the film uh, is that it is shot and edited to appear uh, to give the impression of being a single uh, linear take. Like it's it's basically a one continuous take. It, it's absolutely not, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Um, but it's a all a like run low run or something like that. It's a real time action thriller, so there's no 
with the exception of a flashback sequence um there's no like jump forwards in time really um the entire film is supposed to be a single continuous shot um, which brings us to the major problem with the film uh the execution um so i'm not going to go into detail about the cast of this film nor am i going to go beat by beat with this thing because uh, i did take copious notes but i just don't have the stamina to to root through them because this is very much a sight and sound movie it's actually it has these massive chunks of like dialogue like exposition dump sequences that are a huge liability to the the flow of the movie because they're they're necessary i guess to tell a story however the movie seems to think its story is a lot more engaging than it actually is but um i didn't really recognize i, I was really surprised i didn't really recognize uh most of the the korean players in this film um in fact uh, uh ri sung jae uh, has a small role in the film um i only recognized him because uh, i think i saw him in uh, attack the gas station 20 years ago um, but beyond that like not a whole bunch of household names for me however there are a couple of american actors who appear in the film uh, in the form of uh the lost world colon jurassic parks uh, camilla bell haven't seen her in a minute and luke fucking cage uh mike coulter uh sporting uh some serious bags under his eyes and a salt and pepper beard um I did not expect that, although maybe he, maybe like something through the financing of it, like maybe Netflix fronted part of the bill and he's still like contractually tied to them or something. But Camilla Bell, this is a stretch, but if I had to guess, like uh, maybe her, uh, her fashion or like, like cosmetic connections or something uh, have ties to Korea or something. Cause I mean, I don't think she ever was like a household name as an actress. Like I always thought of her, I always thought of her as the little girl from the lost world. And then later on when she got older, that girl with the eyebrows, but these days all the girls have the eyebrows. So it's like, it's, it's a very crowded market for eyebrow acting. Um, but anyway, I didn't expect either of them to show up in this, but they have very small roles in this film, but, but they are familiar faces, at least to me anyway, but uh, our our star uh, Ju Won, uh, I actually don't recognize. Uh, I mean, like every other Korean actor, he has a vast filmography of of TV dramas, uh, which is you know normal for actors from any country really, but Korea especially. Those K dramas, man, the world, like in terms of like cultural exports, K dramas might be the one. Like that might be the the thing that's bearing the flag for all of Korea and as an ambassador to the rest of the globe because between K-pop and K-drama damn doing the lord's work um but yeah I was surprised I didn't actually recognize him uh, and I I have seen a f my fair share of Korean films so I was, I was surprised at that but um yeah the plot rundown I guess uh Kyle's normally the one who does this so uh, I'll try my best so uh a dude that is told his name is Carter uh, wakes up in a like a love hotel or some shit or a love motel, uh, and then he's instantly beset upon by the CIA. That is the American CIA. He is Korean, although we learn later that I believe he's supposed to be North Korean. Um, and then uh, he has a a, a cross shaped scar on the back of his head, and he has a. a microphone implanted in his ear i'll be like a la metal gear solid like a codec essentially where there's a, a lady talking in his ear 
Um, basically, uh, it's it's uh, two hours of this Carter fella uh, trying to recover his memories, uh, steal a girl from a secret laboratory because there's a zombie plague that is occasionally talked about and then at, towards the end of the movie becomes really, really, really important. Um, and yeah, merry mishaps ensue and people are dead. Like, lots and lots of people are dead. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, this movie is all over the place. Uh, the plot is... It's a remarkably plot-heavy movie. Um, but it the way the plot is uh, like relayed to us, the viewer, is the same way it's relayed to the amnesiac main character in the form of people stopping him in his tracks and saying, Hey, bro, I gotta tell you something. And then the camera rotates around them for five minutes as they talk at him, and he occasionally responds, and then we move on so he can punch some more people now the main thing that you need to keep in mind as i'm rambling about this movie is that uh as much as i shit on this movie and i don't think i'm gonna fully take a shit on this movie i i applaud this movie for its ambition the only problem is ambition can only take you so far ambition is what got me to hit the play button on the movie i didn't expect brilliance i never do like it, it's my my expectations were very much curbed going into this one i th i feel like it's more they're they reached too far like they they broke some unwritten laws of cinematic language like too frequently to the point that i i found myself like profoundly disagreeing with the way things were executed or presented however there are moments of absolute brilliance in this film. Um, only problem is they're fleeting, and oftentimes they're sandwiched between some truly hideous <laughs> um, and egregious quote flaws. Uh, if if you if you're going by standard cinematic language, um, and it's a fascinating thing because on a conceptual level, uh, this is a massive undertaking. There aren't that many single shot films like artificial or otherwise that exist these are special things that uh, through technology and whatnot i believe and also trends um we we've kind of been getting seeing a lot more of these lately and it's funny because this movie actually encapsulates uh two of the major trends that i you know i, I kind of smirk i like snicker at when i see these days because they're they're very very fashionable uh first is uh Oneers, as they call them, one take sequences. Um, they used to call it the master shot or like the Goodfellas shot when you do like an extended sequence in one take. Like I'm, I'm, I know there there was cinematic precedent long before Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, but for a long time, you know, pre-internet and whatnot, that was that was shorthand for what you're looking at here. Um, but these days, we're we are seeing entire films that are shot and or shot to look like they're executed in a single take so like we have 1970 uh 1917 i think that was sam mendez um and then we have uh, a movie that actually is on my to-do list it's a small movie called a boiling point that's about like a a busy restaurant that i believe it's it's an hour and a half long and it's all one take and it's supposed to be very 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 tense and similarly birdman with its a uh, uh, relentless percussion um was also conceived and executed uh, to look as if it was a single continuous take um 
Also, a, a movie that uh, I reviewed uh, for Catching Up on Cinema, James Nunn's uh, One Shot, uh, starring, uh, starring my boy, uh, Scott Adkins. Uh, that was also uh, artificially stitched together in post uh, to give the impression of being a single take. Um, I think I think that movie was brilliantly executed. Um, I, I had a lot of praise for One Shot uh, because a lot of it came down to how how the stitching was done uh the seams are far less noticeable in this than they are in 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 one shot that is uh than they are in many other films that i've seen occasionally of course i notice them i've seen i've seen a lot of films and i've also you know tinkered around in film editors i i know a thing or two about a thing or two uh however for my money i was actually very impressed uh with the way they put one shot together um carter however um it's just it's absolute anarchy <laughs> like, like i've heard it referred to as maximalist cinema in terms of the uh like the the action set piece design that's fine that's fine what what i'm what i'm most irritated by uh in the film is is the the way they just they break they break their own rules in that they don't they don't create any in terms of the language that their film is using from a visual level and what i'm getting at is the reason why i praise movies like one shot is that uh a the action sequences are stellar uh they they suffer not at all uh from the constraints of having to do long takes in order in order to get the thing into post and have it work out the way it needs to uh, in terms of executing the director's vision. Carter, on the other hand, uh, makes no attempt. Like, like I know they storyboard the shit out of this movie. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying anybody's, anybody was lazy. This is an exceedingly high effort film and also like massive, massive in scale and, and ambition, especially for a South Korean production. Um, but the the way that they they use their post production tools to just like grab the fucking film or the footage by the scruff and just like jam it, it like smash it into the next cut. It's like Jesus, like come on guys, like you can't just strong arm the thing. It's it's very much like square peg round hole, uh, in in how the transition from shot to shot work. Um, they do this thing where uh, they basically there's this really artificial digital like punch in or pull out um to readjust the framing uh on on whatever image that they they held on when when they when they cut um and basically the movie just pauses for a second and it just kind of like lurches like it, it the frame pushes in a couple of inches and it's like it's like literally the the movie kind of like goes i'm struggling to find the words uh to describe what this looks like but oh i found an example um so not everybody's going to get this reference but um back in the day uh there was a thing called pan and scan uh on vhs tapes um and i remember when i was a little kid my friend had ghostbusters on pan and scan um and what would happen is in sequences where people were speaking on screen, um, and remember we're watching this on a, a four by three like CRT television, um, in order to accommodate the, the original widescreen presentation of the film, instead of 
like smashing instead of letterboxing the image they would like digitally pan the the shot so to to bring into who bring into the frame whatever whatever character or whatever element needed to be on screen in order for that to make sense for that shot so like say for instance egon's on the right side of the frame and he has a line but in a four by three presentation he's cut off everybody else would say their lines of dialogue and then the pan and scan would go like like it's like it's like the camera's on a tripod and they just kind of like they literally just pan it but it's like completely rigid like it has no the the movement of the camera has no character or dynamism to it just it's like robocop turning his neck it's it's hideous (laughs) it's so artificial and hideous to look at um and so much of carter is that the movie feels like it's it feels like the footage was pitched into a meat grinder and it's it's really really cruel to say that because that's absolutely not true as i said this was definitely a a highly coordinated and very much planned production but the techniques they devised the techniques they implemented to execute the vision were the wrong technique like straight up just the wrong ones uh and it i'm not gonna lie uh it didn't make my it didn't make me sick or, or make my head hurt or anything uh, but it did make me, it made me long to watch a normal movie. Um, and that's really sad when the whole concept of your movie ends up being a liability. Uh, because it's novel, for sure, that, that's kind of what got me to turn it on, as I said. But I, I've, time and time again, I found myself just wanting it to just be a normal movie. Because clearly there was a lot of passion and a lot of energy. And again fleeting fleeting moments of brilliance can't take that away from it but uh, time and time again i was just like do i is this visual information that i absolutely need in order to enjoy this like do i need to see this like and and do i need to okay so (laughs) in addition to the like rapid fire frame readjustments digital frame readjustments to accommodate Uh, or hide the cuts Um, another thing the movie does is that a lot of the lensing I don't I don't know enough about camera technology to tell you what sort of cameras they used however I think I caught some GoPro in there because uh, there was a lack of fidelity like it was it was straight up grainy for a couple of shots and it was it I, I checked I watched other movies just in just to see if like maybe it's much shitty Wi-Fi or something no it was the movie and the way they chose to lens some of like the car action in particular um obvious gopro stuff that's not a big deal i've <laughs> i'm a scott adkins fan i've watched many a direct-to-video action film that you know drones and gopros that's how you get your production values uh, people use those on the regular on film productions that i'm not being overly critical of that just want to make that clear um but the drones um and that's actually a point that i forgot to get into earlier the drone drone shots and uh, drone pilots in particular uh, i think are the new trend that we have very much arrived at uh, as evidenced by uh, movies like michael bay's ambulance and now carter and and many many other action films of over the past couple of years pretty much ever since that like uh famous uh viral clip of it's like a 
uh, it's, it's like a, a skit staged at a bowling alley and like a super talented drone pilot zips this this drone mount this camera mounted on a drone through this bowling alley and it's absolutely spellbinding to watch um, i think ever since that video like hollywood and like top talent filmmakers have been looking at that footage and saying i gots to have some of that <laughs> um carter makes extensive use of drones as well um but as i said they, they readjust the framing digitally and whatnot and that's that's very very frustrating um but the other thing is i noticed there's like frame rate issues um and i'm not sure if it has to do with the camera technology they're using or potentially like some sort of handicap or necessity brought on by the style of editing that they're doing or, or the way that they're capturing the footage i i don't know enough about the technicals to to give an explanation but it's it's jarring it's awful to look at like it, it's choppy it, it choppy is the word choppy choppy is very descriptive of essentially the entire experience of watching carter <laughs> um so much of the action is is executed in in this fashion where it's like it feels like there's frames missing and and on top of that a lot of it's under cranked to shit which is again that's a thing that has always been done in action especially in martial arts cinema like you can't put on a hong kong action film without some measure of under cranking it's expected it's the norm but when you combine it with like a herky-jerky frame rate and like zipping drone footage and digital readjustments of your framing for shots that are pointed at fuck all because that's that's like the quickest easiest method of creating a quote seamless transition from shot to shot is to like point at an innocuous empty surface or something like find a white wall fill the fill the frame with white and then there's your cut have somebody step in front of the camera hey you got a couple of frames of black out of that now you can do a cut that's normally what you would do but no carter's just like you know we're just gonna arbitrarily whip the camera around fixate on whatever the fuck we end up looking at readjust the framing and post and then call that a transition it's like no not really but and then not only that there are jump cuts there are jump cut transitions where people teleport like like straight up there's a cut in an airplane action sequence where someone goes from being like mounting someone while they're li like they have their back on the ground and then they teleport like a couple of frames into the air like it's like there's footage missing to, that makes the transitions all the more jarring it, it, ah. it's one of those things where it's like uh, if you hadn't committed to the bit 100 percent as they did these these would be thought of as straight up mistakes these would be things that would be unforgivable like like all <laughs> so much of this movie is is like stuff that would be unforgivable in a dip in a in a film produced with a different mentality um but you know they they probably shot what they shot and got what they got so you know you just gotta make it work uh but it, it really feels like a, a handicapped production in that way too often like i said i was just like begging for it to re to just become a normal movie because it, it just wasn't working for me and that like not to like make a whole big thing out of it but like 
making a one take film i think there's a there's a like a level of pride and prestige that comes with that and as it, like as i said the novelty factor is exceedingly high to the point that it gets uh, people like me to put it on and give it a chance even if they suspect it's probably not going to be very good spoiler alert it's not very good um but like when it comes to my personal taste like phil philosophically like like when it comes to action uh, in particular like an action movie put together this way i think i might just like fundamentally disagree with this like like this style of of action movie conducted in this fashion because structurally it's actually kind of similar i guess to to one shot like it it bears a very strong resemblance to it in that it's a a real-time like one continuous take air quotes uh action film uh with a lot of pit stops uh between the action beats for exposition dumps and whatnot only difference is i really gave a shit about the characters and the drama in one shot i think that's actually just like a pretty good movie overall like like it's it's just a a good good little war movie um and so much of it is so very polished that it's like i could i i could see myself showing that to people uh and having them like you know people in my orbit and have them walk away from that saying you know i'm not as i'm not a martial arts fanatic like you trevor but that was a pretty good movie thanks for showing me that whereas carter i feel like i don't know who i'd show that to at least in my orbit anyway um but i feel like it would be a hard sell i think just stylistically it, it would be it would be whiplash it would it, not the movie whiplash but it, it would just be very difficult for them to sit through and stomach what's being presented to them um but yeah, like I was talk, I was telling my girlfriend about this just the other night that uh, a a problem with a movie structured this way is that like you you get like action fatigue, I guess. And this isn't an accurate description of the film. This is actually just going to be kind of a tangent, so just bear with me. But I was describing to her like some of my issues with. Uh, some kinds of martial arts movies or action movies where i describe it as a skateboard music video where it's, it's like a parade of of sequences where wherein you watch people do cool things and i discovered probably around like my high school years or something that that doesn't really work for me like i like cool things but if i want to watch people do cool things i'll i'll, I'll go to youtube for that when it comes to like action and in particular fighting in movies i i need some i need some character <laughs> like i need to give a little bit of a fuck uh in order to fully enjoy it and also i was telling my girlfriend that like on that same note the build-up of an action sequence is is sometimes just as important as the execution of it itself like not necessarily action sequence, but I guess like a fight sequence, like like the anticipation, the build up, the establishment of characters and capabilities that you carry into the inevitable like explosion of violence. That that's what makes it special. That's what makes it kind of magical. And uh, this movie f- feels like, for lack of a better term, more like 
video gamey, I guess, where it's like there's literally a person talking in Carter's head the entire time, so, telling him Ramirez get to the burger town <laughs> over and over and over and over again. And then all the all like virtually all of the people that he's faced with in terms of like human obstacles are deliberately faceless and and lack any sort of character. Even their affiliations because of the way the exposition is handled in this movie are difficult to pin down from time to time. It's like I know he's killing quote bad guys, but I'm not really sure because there's a lot of contradictions and I'm not sure exactly whose uniforms those are and it, it's like I don't really know why and like everybody's wearing like like straight up matrix agent suits at one point it's like okay i don't think the cia actually does that book sure um what i'm getting as like we there's no there's very little character like we do actually end up getting a decent villain um in the tradition like the proud tradition of korean cinema they they have like korean movies have some of the like Revenge used to be like a really, really, really popular theme in like all of Korean's act, like Korea's action movies, um, and as a result, like good nasty bad guys are something that like Korea really they they know how to make good villains. They know how to let give give their their actors all the leeway in the world to like craft a really nasty ugly performance. Um, we do kind of get one of those towards the end of this movie. He does fuck all he just kind of like shows up and uh says too much and has a minigun that doesn't have a belt of ammunition and seems to be an airsoft gun or something because he's just like whipping it around like i don't know tony montana with with his m16 but anyway this movie lacks character i guess is is what i'm getting at because like e even the john wick films like like you can make the criticism that so much of those movies are just like a shooting gallery of Keanu doing cool stuff. But then they they make sure to sprinkle in some some like really familiar faces or some very unique challenges that that you know add some spice to the things where it's like you you have the putty patrol for good chunks of the middle of the film, but hey, on the beginning of John Wick Three, you got you got that basketball player that my brother recognized, and I didn't. I think Boban is his name. That was cool. The library fight was great, and then towards the, I get the very end, you get Mark Dacascos, and John Wick Four is gonna have my boy Scott Adkins and Marcos Roar and Hiroyuki Sanada and fucking Donnie Yen. Like <laughs> we got a fucking murderer's row of action talent in that film. Whereas this one is just kind of like we we have like a, a Joker esque nasty bad guy in the middle, that's dispatched very unceremoniously in the following scene, and then we have a bad guy at the end that, as I said, he just kind of like flails around and screams a lot, and he does have some good acting moments, but he occupies very little physical presence in the film. Um, nor do I ever believe for a second that he's actually a match for our, you know, indestructible hero character Carter, but. Um, I haven't talked at all about the set pieces in this film because there, <laughs> there are a lot of them. Uh, I'll just like, I guess, run through some of them, uh, because truth be told, like th this is what makes or breaks this movie, uh, for the people who would care to watch it, um, is, is straight up just the action. Like that's the only reason to watch this movie. And as I said, actual, like there actually are some incredible moments in this film, like straight up incredible. Only problem is they come down to like singular beats 
and or singular shots rather than like sequences like i can't i can't point to any one sequence in this movie and say that was brilliant like i can't i can't do that and and that's very frustrating to me because that that's i'm a huge fan of the concept of action set pieces that's like one of my most common criticisms of major hollywood action films these days is that i the best example that comes to mind and it's slightly obscure um is <laughs> cradle to the grave uh, so that would be the kung fu hip-hop connection film uh, meaning uh, headlined by jet Li, but secretly dmx is the main character also mark dacascos is in there as well and anthony anderson who's very funny um that movie has a sequence where it's Jet Li in a cage fighting basically the entirety of the early 2000s UFC roster. I think Chuck Liddell's definitely in there. Tito Ortiz uh, was kind of the face of the company at the time, so he gets he gets to be the one MMA guy in that in that like 20 person action sequence that can take a punch can take a punch before falling down. It's kind of silly, but anyway. We have that, the spectacle of Jet Li in the early 2000s, you know, kind of like riding high, at least in the eyes of Americans. Like he'd been putting in work for a very long time over in China. But like in the early 2000s, this was like a really special opportunity to see him in a domestic film, you know, doing his thing. And he still fucking had it. He could still fucking go really, really well. Now, so what I'm getting at is on paper, that sounds phenomenal. Give me, give me all of that. Just make that the movie. I will watch that movie. I will probably like that movie. But instead, like I said, DMX is actually the main character of Cradle to the Grave. So instead, they put on X Go and Give It to You, which is phenomenal. Good, good choice director. Good choice producer. Good choice editor. I can't disagree with that. That's wonderful. And they intercut. Sequence a, a sequence of DMX riding an ATV through the through like the streets of a downtown city. I forget what city it is, but basically it's a car chase, intercut between Jet Li fighting the the UFC. And it's like I'm sorry, I know DMX's head is probably bigger on the poster, but one of those things is far more interesting and engaging than the other. But no, we, we're, we're cutting, we're constantly cutting back and forth and back and forth. And it's like in doing so, you're robbing the momentum and the energy of both of those things. You're, you're, you're handicapping both of those things to the point that now I, now I just don't enjoy that five minute block of the movie as much as I could have if you had just fucking focused on something. And, and that's a common problem, a common criticism I have. It's it may be personal. I don't know if it's a universal thing, but I'm not a big fan of when when like an ensemble cast action movie and in Hollywood that's like every movie these days. Thank you, Marvel. Um like we have our ragtag band of heroes who we have to show all three of the parties. It's like it's like fucking Final Fantasy 7. It's it's like we got to we got to beat Kefka. It's like, well, we got to split the party and like come at him with three different groups and they all got to do different things simultaneously. It's like there is a time and a place for that. And and for me, like a fan, like my my biggest thrill is just watching two people, just just a one-on-one contest of 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 knuckles and grit and will. Like like I'm I'm a boxing fan. 
I'm a wrestling fan. There's a reason why most fucking WrestleManias end with a singles competition for the fucking belt. is because it's high drama between the two, the two people that we care the most about. Not necessarily Money in the Bank where it's, you know, 20 bodies hurling through the air and doing crazy shit. It's like, no, it's where the most drama is available. Um, and yeah, I, I don't like when we're, we're jumping back and forth between parties. And, and the whole finale of this movie is that is, is we're, we're zipping around on like via drones and whatnot to show Carter doing some crazy helicopter shit, which is really, really incredible. And like it, I mean, it's absolutely absurd. It feels like something out of that. Uh, uh, was it Interon? I think it was a, I, I don't know if it was a Bollywood. It's an Indian film called Interon. That's like, he looks like a Terminator, but he turned, he like, there's many of him and he can contort himself into like giant shapes and the music goes to a point. Oh, you'll, you'll know it if you Google it. Um, it, it's, it's like that level of absurdity. It's like Bollywood level absurdity in terms of action design and, you know, like complete and utter lack of respect towards the laws of physics. But we're even then like as cool as that had potential to be, they keep swooping back and forth between what he's doing and what his wife and daughter are doing in a jeep down below it's like oh she's wrestling with another faceless goon oh she shot him in the face and he fell off the jeep just like we've seen 50 other fucking dudes do throughout this entire film not just the sequence but like literally the entire runtime of the film is mostly comprised of people being shot in the face and falling off of cars um <laughs> And then we're swooping back and forth just like because that's what happens when you can't cut things is you have to you have to show the transition like you actually have to actively move the camera before you can show what is going on over there in a normal film you just cut and you're there and it's fast and yes it may be disruptive but it's fucking fast and it's efficient <laughs> anyway <laughs> I'm just going to run through some of the action shit that happens in this film because I think that's where the positives are going to come from. So, uh, the sauna fight. Uh, I mean, the opening of the movie is Carter waking up and then uh, we get a phone bomb. A uh, lady's face gets blowed up and we get some gore on the floor. That was pretty cool. I do like that this movie's pretty gory. That that made me happy. But he, like, jumps through a window and the transition is fucking terrible. Um, yeah, this is kind of where I started to notice the frame rate was really funky here. Um, but anyway, she like, he like falls into like a bathhouse and there's this extraordinarily long sequence with no dialogue where a naked lady, uh, pulls a gun on him and she is naked. I, I don't like, I know Japan has some, some things about like fully naked people, but, um, I guess Korea doesn't. Anyway, she's totally fucking naked and the camera like, like contorts itself in all these weird positions, even does like an overhead and it takes minutes and it's like i don't even know who she is i don't know what her motivations are and then i guess the i the reveal is legitimately cool it's just it takes forever to get there and the reveal that i'm talking about here is that we discover that there were a couple of guys who wanted to hurt carter in the in the bathhouse but then on the other side of the room like like basically his left side uh, there's like 50 guys who want to hurt him. And that's a great reveal. I did like that, but I didn't I didn't appreciate, you know, spending 
minutes of screen time in in an overlong movie this movie's over two hours it's like two hours and change it's like two hours and 15 or something this should not be that <laughs> like like a one take action film i want it especially one that's supposed to be you know linear like it's conducted in real time i want it to be snappy i want it i want to get it done fast but no this this thing kind of drags ass from time to time it's it's over long it, it i hate to say that like it sounds again blasphemous as a fan of action films but uh, i found that there was a lot of fat that could have been easily trimmed from this movie easily um but the sauna fight this like opening action beat is is terrific like it, it's good uh, only problem is this is where it becomes clear what what the editing and the shot structure is going to be for the remainder of the film. And this is where I started going going from like leaning forward and, and then like found myself leaning back into the couch and going, hmm. Like I'm <laughs> watching this movie, I definitely made a Marge Simpson or a Patty and Selma uh, Bouvier. Hmm. Uh, like I, I did a lot of grumbles watching this movie where I was like, mm, I fundamentally disagree with what you're doing, but you seem to be very enthusiastic about doing it. So I, I will continue to watch. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a delightfully gory sequence. Uh, I love some of the shots, like in particular, like when we have like drones, uh, like up, up in the rafters and stuff that look fantastic. Um, and again, the, the blood lighting is very much appreciated. Um, but it's it's very undercranked, and the uh, the jittery frame rate and the the constant like herky jerky nature to the the framing of the shots is it's frustrating because you can tell that a lot of this was great, and I really did love the uh, the drone shot flying like backwards through the room and uh, retracing our hero's uh, steps through through the room and like surveying the carnage. Um, really good beat. Like because they they really did a good job of like dressing the set and making it just look like a complete fucking butt bloodbath. It was great. Um, and we get like an action sequence where he goes through the stores and stuff. Um, I'm just gonna keep skipping through this. I'm I'm just gonna blaze through my fucking notes here. Um, later on, Mike Coulter is introduced for exactly one scene. I don't really know why he's here. Um, also, Camilla Bell shows up around here. Um, she contributes a possible subplot in that she's like, you aren't who they say you are. But then I don't think we ever resolve that. So it's like, why are you here? Um, anyway, we, we do get another uh, explosive. Uh, I think I think it's a dental implant instead of a phone this time, though. Also very, very, very gory. I appreciate that. Um, and... Uh, there's a parade um next major action beat is the uh motorcycle ambush um which is one of the better sequences like overall in the film if you ask me so basically it's like a, a whole gaggle of uh, motorcyclists attacking a van which turns into three vans riding high speed down the road parallel to each other um and a lot of the sequence is comprised of like first like Carter getting to the van and like hanging off of the van, going under the van, getting in the van, and then very uh, very cramped uh, cinematography in that we are literally shooting inside of a van and conducting a like a, a snappy action sequence like we're doing fucking jujitsu on each other in this van. 
Um, and it's a lot of that, but we're constantly like using every part of the animal. Um, that's the expression I use um, in reference to um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the truck chase. Um, and you can tell, like, I'll call it out later, but um, these filmmaker, this filmmaker has most certainly seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. And any, any action filmmaker more than likely loves that film uh, because in my eyes that, that sequence is, at the time anyway, was kind of like the, you know, the standard for that style of action presentation. Like more spectacular stunts had probably been done. I mean, Buster Keaton uh, did some pretty amazing shit back in the day, but the truck chase combines not only just like pure physicality and stunt work, um, it combines it with just fucking filmmaking. Um, like it's a, it's a work of art in terms of its presentation. And, and that's, that's a, a major thing is, uh, good action, good, good, like fight sequences and whatnot. It can't, it can't all just be raw physicality. It can't all just be athleticism. It can't just be people doing cool shit. It's also a fucking film, which means it has to be shot and edited and, and lit just right in order to get the max like maximum effectiveness of that it's a very delicate films are very delicate just leave it at that um, but the sequence was really cool uh, my favorite part of it is when they uh they set up the camera on a rig that it's like a dolly or something where we're literally like walking like we're walk fighting <laughs> um from like across all three of the vans so basically, like it's it's just a panning shot, uh, a la another uh, one take action sequence from a Korean film, uh, Old Boy, uh, very similar to like a belt scroller, like beat 'em up uh, video game or something. It, it's like a straight up, just pure horizontal pan, um, or slide, if you will. Um, and it's a really cool sequence. A lot of a lot of knives, a lot of bodies falling out of cars. Well done. I appreciate it. I uh, did not appreciate the CGI bike explosions uh, because there is another uh, bike sequences, uh, bike sequence that follows the van sequence that uh, has some truly hideous uh, CGI stunt doubles and 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 fire effects. Um, however, I did like the transition into the next bit where uh, one of the flaming tires of the bike like rolls down a hill and like a drone follows the tire under under a bridge. Good use of drones. I appreciate that. Um, but what's next? Oh, the plane. Uh, so the plane is where we're introduced to uh, the Joker-esque villain that I mentioned earlier. He's, he's wild and crazy. He's a wild and crazy kid. Um, <laughs> uh, basically, there's like a mini zombie outbreak on a plane. Um, and there's a little bit of fun chaos that comes out of that. There's also some really horrendous dialogue. Um, but the probably the most memeable sequence in the entire mo like film comes out of this sequence where there's a really cool bit where a reporter uh, is chased to a door and then uh, she's forced through the door like from behind by all the zombies chasing her um, unbeknownst to them the uh, there's been an explosion in the cargo hold where that door leads so as soon as the door is pushed down like the woman's face is pushed through the window. As soon as the door goes down, the lady and all the zombies go flying out the back of the plane. It's really cruel. It's like it's it's almost like uh, what the Jurassic World sequence, where like the the British personal assistant or whatever gets 
like double fucked by every dinosaur in the park um, before finally being eaten by a mosasaur. Um, good stuff, good stuff. Unnecessarily cruel, but good stuff. Anyway, uh, the action sequence, the memeable sequence that I mentioned is uh, Carter, the girl that he's trying to save, and th- the Korean Joker uh, fall out of this plane and go into free fall all a uh, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout albeit with probably one-tenth that film's budget. So this, unlike that film where, you know, it's Tom Cruise, they they actually did, like, a series of halo jumps in order to get a lot of the footage for that sequence, at least the opening portion of it anyway. Um, I don't think they did that for this movie. If I had to guess, they did, like, a indoor skydiving thing with a green screen or something, because this looked pretty fucking raggedy but this is again where we get to that yippee uh, uh run slash uh Bolly- bollywood level of excess where we're having a gunfight while in free fall and we're emptying the clip too it, it's like it's not like we're lining up shots we're doing some like gun kata shit as as we're falling in the and by the way this is in the daytime so it's like it's super brightly lit bad guys wearing white and everything um and it goes on and on and on. It's probably, if I had to guess, it's probably not that long. It's probably like three minutes or so, but maybe five. Uh, like it felt like five, but it's probably no more than three, honestly. Action scenes are funny that way. Like ones that feel long usually are barely half as long as you think they are. Um, Anyway, not a big fan of that sequence. Like it, it was cute in that uh, in that like it's so stupid kind of way. Um, but if I have other options, if if I'm looking for straight up stupid, like like I, I could just go watch Crank or Crank Two High Voltage instead. If I if I just want like relentlessly dumb and over the top or something, this is relentlessly dumb and over the top. But it's actually, like, played super, super fucking straight to the point that it actually, again, robs itself of an opportunity to, you know, inject some more energy and fun into itself. Where it's just like, maybe don't take yourself so goddamn seriously. <laughs> um, but anyway, we we transition seamlessly, of course, quote, seamlessly, uh, from free fall into parachuting into a pig truck on the longest road in Korea. Um, and what follows is uh, the aforementioned truck chase. Like a lot of this, I want to say, was probably a deliberate reference. Like it, it's not borrowing beats or anything, but I want to say that they, you know, the crew got together and they all had a wink at each other and said, "Hey, you remember Raiders? You remember how how good that was? Well, we should definitely try to one up that." Um, and of course, because it's a contemporary film, there's a lot of things that they can do now that they abs- that you know Spielberg and his stunt crew couldn't do back in the day. Um, so of course, there's there's like a level of excess and spectacle that is is beyond that film. It doesn't make it better, um, but but I'm just pointing that out. But anyway, yeah, uh, there's a lot of CGI pigs, a lot of a lot of violence done to these CGI pigs. By the way, a lot of cars get flipped, um, and I. I want to say that maybe a lot of these driving sequences were shot with stationary vehicles um, with like CGI just filling in the backgrounds and the uh, like dust trails kicked up by the tire movement and whatnot. 
Um, I, I noticed the dust in particular was super artificial and that's actually another one, <laughs> another one of my endless criticisms for this film is the, the feeling of artificiality. I use that, that same term in reference to the gray man, but this one dials it up to 11 or it's like, there's so much of this film that like, it's like, just, just make an animated film <laughs> instead. Like so much of what I'm looking at is, is not not a real element in the room anyway maybe just maybe just take those animatics and those storyboards and actually just straight up animate it because you know all those seams that you're having to like compensate for like in in terms of the shot structure and the editing you don't have to do that if you're fucking drawing the thing or, or you're doing it in a computer um but that isn't the point like the the whole point of this movie is is it's a challenge like it, it's a it's a concept film in that way, um, but the, again, the, the way they the way they chose to execute, I they did it. Like you can't say that they didn't do it. And hats off to them; they they actually did the damn thing. But um, yeah, I, not a big fan of how they chose to do it. But um, anyway, uh, zombies. We get a whole action sequences with zombies and we just did an action sequence from Raiders of the Lost Ark so we may as well borrow one from the Temple of Doom uh, which chronologically takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark um, yeah we, we straight up get a hanging like shitty suspension bridge action sequence where uh, the camera like Ryuhei Kitamura uh, my boy Ryuhei uh, Kitamura he would be very 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 proud of this film and its propensity for swooshing and swirling the camera in endless circles because that is the sequence it's like straight up probably three to five minutes of carter holding a girl that's almost about to fall off the middle of this bridge and him shooting at zombies like literal zombies this movie has a pandemic and zombies in it folks uh, this movie is actually highly political uh, which is very very strange to me being as like I wanted so badly for this to just be like disposable action garbage, a la crank or something. But no, like it has like political intrigue and like twists and turns and as I said, there's like drop threads regarding the 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 validity of the the main character's memory and and his identity and stuff. It's like keep it simple, stupid. K I S S kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Um yeah. Uh, <laughs> this movie has political intrigue to the point that like it's fascinating because uh, 20 years ago when I first started watching Korean cinema uh, Teguki uh, the Brotherhood of War I think is the subtitle they gave it uh, Teguki was kind of like the the big international hit around the time I was old enough to give a shit about Korean movies and also helped that I, I one of my best friends is Korean. Uh, so I, I was exposed to that movie through him. Um, and in that time, uh, in the very early 2000s, um, you you were seeing Korean War movies constantly because that movie cleaned the fuck up at the box office and was a massive hit. Um, and we saw a lot of Korean War movies and also the general attitude towards North Korea was suspect and highly negative <laughs> um uh the the vibe i got strictly like i wasn't reading the news or anything but like strictly through the media of the day uh, north korea was regarded as suspect untrustworthy and 
like a lot of times their portrayals those people's portrayals in, in film in south korean film was you know like subhuman monsters and stuff we have come a long way to the point that it seems like korea like views the north as almost like a i don't know like a a disabled younger brother or something that's like we you know it's like like it's it's very very hard but but you, we 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 have to find a way to accommodate them like i feel like the generations have moved on to a point like time has moved on and and public perception has moved on to a point where it's no it's, they're no longer at odds with each other in the same way they once were or suspicious of each other the way they once were um instead they're suspicious of us uh america (laughs) Um, because also like it seemed like 20 years ago um korea's uh relationship with the u.s was a lot lot better like i was kind of shocked to see how much they uh were suspicious of and uh i don't know standoffish uh towards the americans in this and it's all justified of course like speaking from experience like it's all justified, but it's just fascinating to see that progression over the course of a generation. Um, but yeah, uh, I was talking about how the camera was whirling around and around and around. I don't know how I got to politics, but anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, the zombies. Um, yeah, the, there's there are fucking zombies in this movie. They, they're sometimes important, but not often. Um, anyway, uh, next major beat is there's a really cool uh, sequence where Carter views a entire conversation through a sniper scope. Um, I, I kind of like the way that was executed, although the technicals of it are suspect where it's like, a, uh, you're, you're breaking reality with, with the way that the tech and like the, the tools are functioning. It's like, a, you know, don't show me how the magnification works on the scope and then deliberately, or, you know, pot- potentially, on accident show me like an adjustment made to the scope through an artificial means like like the literally the movie punching in rather than the actual tool like the physical el- implement in the room i'm doing a very bad job of explaining that sorry not enough coffee today um but that sequence was interesting um again very video gamey felt again very metal gear solidy uh very very metal gear uh felt like I've done that sequence with a directional microphone or something in uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, anyway, uh, our hero is reunited with his wife and stuff. There's some action stuff uh, in a facility with a shit ton of zombies. There's some cool gags where people are like jumping off of like a, it's like a multi-tiered uh, laboratory room with like lots of glass chambers. There's some really cool shots of like people jumping from high heights through windows and stuff. Uh, I mean, I, Candy Glass is a is a action filmmaker's best friend, so it's like you know, it's, it's a cheat code, honestly. If you if you have broken glass in a movie, it makes it that much better. But um, the big fucking finale of the movie uh, is, as I said, I felt that the probably the most outstanding sequence in the movie was the van one. Uh, the sauna was probably, I think, the most like slick and consistent in its presentation. So I kind of favored that. Also it favors, you know, martial arts over gunplay and vehicle stuff. I'm I'm always going to lean more towards the the punching and the slashing than the shooting and the driving. That's just a personal thing. But 
this this train sequence, I th- you know, it's supposed to be the the big action finale after a movie that's had so much ridiculousness and so many big, long, crazy, stupid action sequences that it kind of had to end this way. Otherwise, you'd walk away from it thinking it it ended like it, it didn't like the rhythm was wrong. Like like it didn't end strong. I guess like it it petered out or something. Um, but I found it to be just boring as shit (laughs) um we have a lot of like helicopter action like chasing a train um there's people hanging from like repelling lines uh that are like constantly swinging into frame and like hassling people they don't really pose much of a threat they just kind of like they're like putty patrol people they just kind of go and they'll just like mess with your hair and stuff um they're almost like goombas or something but um from like in terms of scale the sequence is uh, is very remarkable. I don't. I couldn't tell you how much of it is physical and how much of it is straight up CGI. But I want to say they probably had like a lot of stationary props on on sound stages, like CGI sound stages, so like green screen rooms essentially. Um, and then they use the they move the camera instead of the object or maybe they even had them on like hydraulics or something uh like or armatures to like actually move them but i want to say that none of these props were probably like like i don't think they actually had flying helicopters i don't think they actually had driving jeeps i don't think they actually had a moving train um so in that sense i guess it's pretty well put together however it was put together i actually haven't done my research on that but by the way, a chopper does a goddamn barrel roll in this sequence. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, physics are just—they just don't exist, do they?" Um, but yeah, I, I don't even really know how the bad guy met his end here. He has—I uh, did mention that he has a, a a cool acting moment or two in this movie, and like one that felt very much akin to a lot of Korean movies I've watched is a. Uh, he has a confrontation with Carter, like a face to face while they're fighting. And Carter's like stabbing him in the fucking face while he's, while he's being a venomous bastard. Like he's saying awful things to him. I think what he says is like, how do you, are you sure that those memories are yours? Because at this point in the film, Carter's memory has been restored. Uh, long story short, I think Carter was trying to defect North Korea with his wife, um, but they were caught in the act uh, and then his daughter was infected with a zombie virus, and he volunteered to uh, be a double agent in South Korea. But in, in order to do so, he had to have his memory wiped. And then when he did that, the CIA tried to tell him he was not who he thought he was. And the whole movie is him trying to like reunite with his wife and his daughter. And ugh, fuck, I'm hurt now. Now I have a headache. Um, anyway, that sequence where he's stabbing the bad guy in the face and he's being an asshole while he's being stabbed in the face was, give me more of that, please, um, amidst all the noise. Um, but yeah, actually, I didn't even really figure out how the bad guy died here. I know his chopper collided with the other one, but I don't know how that happened. Um, and we do get like a confirmed kill in the form of like, the chopper explodes in slow motion and stuff, and then the camera like kind of zips over like a horribly, like grotesquely burned dead body that still has the guy's uniform on. So it's like, ah, he did indeed die. How I'm not entirely certain, but he's he's dead. Cool, good job, Carter, if that is your real name. 
Um, but yeah, the movie actually ends with like a sequel bait, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how well this movie's doing on Netflix or in Korea for that matter, but uh, yeah, they end with kind of like a sequel bait where like the the camera is on a drone and it pulls back and it shows the train uh, escaping uh, North Korea, uh, presumably to head either to South Korea or China or something, um, and then the bridge gets blown out before the and before the train gets to the the hole in the bridge, snap to black credits. It's like. You want to do this again? <laughs> like, fuck. Um, I don't know. The, the, this movie on a conceptual level, I guess, like, as a personal challenge, is probably very fulfilling uh, for all the people involved. Because, like, as a stunt person, I'm sure there was plenty of fun shit to do on this film. And as a director, you get you get the distinction of being able to say, you did that. You made a one-take, two-hour-plus action film that unlike one shot like really goes for broke and like goes crazy over the top with its action rather than presenting it in a more subdued and therefore manageable fashion like that is something that very few action directors on this planet can say they've done so he you know jong byung gil he gets to say he did that that's cool um i don't know they did it well but uh there's aspects of this movie that feel like product of algorithm research i mean it's long been known that like that's how k-pop came to exist to the degree that it does or at least to the level of popularity that does that a lot of the music is it's it's straight fucking math people like they 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 have enough data to know what tones and what what rhythms work for the human ear and they're weaponizing that data against you it's fun though isn't it um because i know uh train to busan uh, is a Korean film that made a big splash internationally. Uh, it continues to be discovered by people. Like uh, my uh, regular co-host, uh, Kyle, uh, he watched it, I think, a year or two ago. He was a big fan. Um, but uh, as successful as that movie was, and as as much as it's played into the, success, the endless success of zombie uh, media, both in Korea and the U.S., um, as far as I've heard, the uh, I think it's a prequel, uh, or maybe a sequel, I'm not positive. Uh, Peninsula uh, was not nearly as well received. Um, and all signs pointed to that being bigger, louder, and dumber in a way that probably cheapened things and made it less engaging. Um, so Carter was an experiment, uh, both for the people who made it and myself as a viewer. Um, and I don't feel bad. Uh, for having subjected myself to it i didn't enjoy it like straight up i i i did have some like shots and some moments that i really sincerely did like um i really did get a lot out of some moments in the movie but on the whole like i i've said it countless times and i'm sorry that this it's really hard to do a whole fucking recording in one breath uh all by yourself but i've i fundamentally disagreed with a lot of the decisions made um, in regards to how they wanted to execute the quote one take nature of the film. Um, if you want a better example of doing it the way I would prefer to see it done, James Nunn's one shot. Uh, I have not seen 1917, 
Um, that's a much, much larger budget film um, from an art house director, no less. But one shot for my money, like that was that was excellent. But beyond that, I, I, I don't think I finished this thought earlier. Um, in my mind, like philosophically, I, I feel like I prefer the idea of a one take sequence than a one take film. And the reason for that is that it's it draws attention to itself. Anytime you see it, you it, you may not recognize that you're seeing it as it's happening. But by the time you reach the end of an exceeding like a an especially long take, if if you're well versed in film, you 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 feel it in your bones. You're like, oh wow, like that that was a that was a really long take. Like that somebody committed to that. Somebody decided to do that. I think I, I appreciate those. I, just on paper, I, th- I think I appreciate the idea of that, of having that serve as like punctuation or a, or a highlight to a gr- to a grander narrative or a grander vision, rather than having that be the whole damn show. Um, hope that made sense. Um, but yeah, things things like Tom Young Goong, you know, Tony Jaw running up them damn stairs. I think I think in my mind that's that's just better and like Atomic Blonde same deal running up them running down them damn stairs <laughs> um, Bushwick also like the first uh, five minutes or so of that movie uh, really they really committed to hiding the seams it's not the whole movie it's just the opening and it, it's a fantastic tone setter really really does a lot to set the stage for the rest of that movie and Atomic Blonde, it's just like the grand payoff, like the grand action highlight of of a pretty solid spy thriller, where it's just like you're enjoying yourself, and then you get to leave the theater having seen five minutes of absolute brilliance. And it's just like, damn, that was great. And the Creed, fucking um, the boxing sequence earlier in the film, um, that was that was outstanding they did like straight up like three minutes of of boxing and a lot of like the the head snaps and a lot of the contact is aided by cgi you can absolutely tell but hey that was that was like a straight up like three minute or two and a half minute boxing sequence done in one go and the rest of the movie the rest of the boxing in that film is not presented that way um but the director ryan coogler you know committed to the idea of hey this is meant to be like a crossing of a threshold for this character and it would be really really impactful if we got to see him go from the locker room out to the ring and then the entire fight all without blinking and if you ask me it worked brilliantly i, I really love creed and creed <laughs> creed 2 i've always said it's way better than it had to be i i would have loved that movie even if it totally fucking sucked but hey big surprise it actually ended up being pretty good if you ask me <laughs> Um, anyway, I've rambled for far too long about a not very good movie, but hats off to them for trying. You know, all the ambition in the world uh, just just didn't work for me, and and maybe that's just a personal thing, but you know, can't win them all. Anyway, uh, that was a uh, Carter from the year twenty twenty two, uh, directed by uh, Jung Byung Gil, uh, and. Kyle will hopefully be back next week, and hopefully we can review Prey this month. I'm not positive when that will be, but it's it's something I'm really excited for because um, if you've been following the show for a long time, 
um, or if you haven't, um, just so you know, the very first recording we ever did for the damn podcast was uh, the quote Predator Masterclass, which was just a kind of haphazard conversation about all the Predator films, including the AVP films that existed up until then. And mind you, this was before uh, Shane Black's The Predator had come out. Um, so we began with The Predator, and therefore uh, I would like to continue with The Predator. So that's that's a big deal for me personally, and I hope Kyle too. But um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema uh, content, though, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social media, uh, on the Twitter, at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, and you can also find the podcast on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. And that being said, thank you so much for listening uh, to me. Uh, and we will catch you next or I will catch you next time. <laughs>